It is so nice to see you. And some faces that I don't know, and that's a beautiful thing. So for those of you who are new, thank you so much for risking. Man, I know it is hard to go into an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people. Maybe even like this is an early time for you to ever go to church. Thanks for taking that kind of a risk. I know that it's hard. I know that it's a challenge. And so we pray that God would meet with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham. And um, yeah, we're glad that you're here. Um, We, since January, have been focusing on our checkpoints, um, words to live by. That's what we've been calling what we've been doing. And every Sunday, we've been doing Tell Yourself the Truth, where we have been trying to fill your minds with truth so that you can live in the freedom to which you were called. It's not just to jam stuff down your throat. It's not just to have a routine. I want you to be able to claim truth for yourselves and then live within that. So where do we draw the truths from that we've been talking about? Well, we draw them from the Bible, right? The scriptures, the written word of God. We believe that, that uh, excuse me, we believe that the truth that we need to tell ourselves is hidden. It's placed within the scriptures. We believe that, in fact, the Bible is full of words to live by. We believe that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What if you were able to come into contact with the truth and not just read it? Can truth be personal? And what I don't mean is not personal for us as in my truth but not your truth. Truth is universal. It's not mine or yours, but personal as in found in a person. Now, despite the fact that most North Americans own multiple copies of the Bible, we find that biblical illiteracy is on the rise. We're getting better at being biblically illiterate. And we'll reference it. We'll make notice of parts of it in passing conversations, but to have it in context, to have it as a base Well, we're losing that because people are failing to see the relevance that the Bible has. They don't take time to read it. We're busy. We've got things to do. We've got other things to do, things that are more interesting to do. And when they do, they they, they read it and they struggle with this unfamiliar language. It's like it's not written by John Grisham. It's not a page turner. And so they say, well, that's not enough for me. And what's the big deal, right? What do I really need to know? Whatever I really need to know, I'll just Google it, right? I can find it just like that. I can just ask the pastor. He'll be able to tell me a nice, quick answer. And that's what we use the Bible for, a little fact machine that comes up. And many recognize that there is this theoretical importance of Scripture they lack the confidence to engage it in a meaningful way. And as I say that, maybe your heart resonates with that right there, to engage with it in a meaningful way. And I just don't feel like I've got the confidence to do that. 
I don't know it the way I should know it. But how do we stay connected to this truth that we asked you to tell yourself the truth and we focus on giving you words to live by that are the truth? How do we focus on that? How do we connect to that? How are we transformed by the truth without ever reading the truth? The Word of God is like a double-edged sword, right? But what if our sword is just hopelessly dull? This lack of familiarity, we call North America, both uh, the United States and Canada have been known as uh, Christian nations. Well, we have acknowledged in Canada a lot earlier than the United States has, we are no longer a Christian nation. We once were, and we can lament that, we can blame somebody for that, or we can do what we were supposed to do and live authentically, honestly, compellingly. Not wait for someone to legislate that which we would like, but to live these things, to embody them as the church was always supposed to do. To be a visual display, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to come to life so that other people would see in us. But when people um, come around us and we feel like we don't know the Bible well enough, and these people, um, they can easily sway us. They come and they, and they sound like they know what they're talking about. They look like they should be able to know what they're talking about. And then they say something that seems to challenge the Bible. And when that happens in our culture, we tend to react in fear. Fear that it will show publicly that I don't know as much as I should. Or fear that they must be doing something wrong. And it's evil. And I may not know what it is or why it's a problem, but it must be the devil. The devil's gone and done it again. And so we rally around and, and we, we come together and we, we try to protect the Bible and we try to protect God as, as if God house has somehow now required our protection. And both of these responses, they sadly display our ignorance. What does our relationship to truth really entail? We believe the Word of God is truth. And we don't want anyone messing with the truth, whether we know that much about it or not. So a very famous passage that we would turn to as Christians is 2 Timothy 3.16. It's one of those references is that if, if you do any kind of study, this, this is a, a benchmark. This one comes up all the time. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. Now here's the question. What scripture is the author referring to? It's all scripture, right? Including that page? The words, that, that paragraph that we just read, is that scripture? Is the person saying that what they are writing is scripture? What, what, what does the author mean when they say scripture? So what scripture is this person referring to? Because this is a letter. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to his buddy 
Timothy, young pastor starting out. He's trying to give him a little bit of training. Paul writes a letter to Timothy. So when Paul says to Timothy, the scriptures, well, what's Paul referring to? Is Paul referring to the New Testament? Because the New Testament doesn't exist yet when this letter was being written. So what scripture is he referring to? When that kind of a question arises, it causes us to feel, I'm guessing, you feel a little uncomfortable. And typically we come back with the answer, all Scripture is God-breathed. But it, it doesn't really answer the question, does it? This and other questions that are like it are arising again. There's new popular books by popular people who have been written recently that talk about the spirituality of spirituality. And they're attempting to remove the sacredness from the Bible. They're saying it's really just a book by people for people. And you have to understand the Bible has been challenged throughout its entire history in different ways. But the challenge seems to come in cycles. And so once again, we see this question arising. It's not a new question. This question has been answered or effectively like it. This question has been answered time and again. And so cyclically through history, we come up with these challenges that arise. And I just want you to know we're focusing on this today because there is a new book that's out and it is by a popular author and it does challenge all sorts of Bible things. And that's one of his key questions. Well, what about this? scripture thing. And so I thought I'd like to tell you a little bit before you get caught in that and somebody else asks you. Now, because I bet you're wondering, and maybe you're, you're lingering on that thought, you might be feeling a little nervous. What scriptures is Paul referring to in his letter to Timothy? Yeah, no one wants to guess that. In the letter that he's writing, he's not referring to his own letter. He's referring to the law and the prophets. Stuff that we would call the Old Testament. That's what he's referring to when he talks to Timothy. There's nothing secret about that. It's not a, a big, dark secret that came up. It's just in our understanding. Sometimes we have to remember the Bible wasn't generated as one book. It has time in it as well. And so Paul is referring to the only scriptures that existed at his time. The Law and the Prophets. Stuff that we would call the Old Testament. Now our faith is based on the Word of God. And when you challenge that, People get nervous. Like those questions, they make you feel kind of nervous. The scriptures, it's, it's all, all scripture is. And that's, don't talk. We get nervous, we get uptight because we're not comfortable with that. But let's get something straight and absolutely crystal clear. We are based on the word of God. The part that you need to get crystal clear is that Jesus is the word of God. He is primary. He is supreme. We're not biblicists who worship the Bible. 
The Bible is secondary, and it serves a very specific purpose, a purpose which is frequently misunderstood. We are called Christian, little Christs, Christ followers. We're Christocentric. That means Christ is at our center. It's all about Jesus. The purpose of the scriptures is to testify to him and about him. Paul reflected this, and he wanted his life to point to Jesus. So as we jump into Ephesians, he's, he's going on, he's been listing uh, things that he has suffered with. So to paraphrase, he would say, so don't be discouraged by my sufferings, okay? And then we get into it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The Bible's not just a human collection of historical writings, poems, letters, stories, sayings, and apocalyptic literature. Although that's what it is. It's a collection of historical writings, poems, letters, stories, sayings, and apocalyptic literature. But even with someone who has no commitment to orthodoxy, orthodoxy means right thinking, okay? Anyone can see that even the scriptures describe itself as a uniquely God-inspired, diverse collection of writings. Very important, because when you buy this book, you buy the whole thing, and you kind of think that's the way it's always been. That's not the case. It is a collection. It is a diverse collection. It has multiple genres from multiple authors over hundreds of years bound together, revealing that Jesus Christ is the singular means of salvation from sin, a truth that Jesus himself taught. So if you jump to Luke chapter 24, or if he jumps to Luke chapter 24, you can find this. This is Jesus, um, it's being described by Jesus. And, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, the law and the prophets, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus was teaching the people that the law, the prophets, the scriptures that you know, they point to me. John chapter 5. He's talking to teachers and uh, teachers of the law, and he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will find eternal life. You have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus 
is the Word of God. We don't work with these concepts well, so John tried to help us out. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, he said, In the beginning was the Word. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 in your head and you remember what happened, uh, in the beginning, God, right? And then it describes the Spirit hovering over the waters. And then God, what did he do? He spoke. And he spoke words. Jesus is the creator. God spoke. The word of God is Jesus, okay? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You could take out the word word here and put in Jesus, because that's what he's saying. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things that were made, without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light in the darkness. The role of the scriptures, when we hear this again, the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets, the role of the scriptures is to testify that Jesus is who he says he is and that we can know that we must trust in, listen to, and do his words. The word of God, the Bible, helps us to sort out orthodoxy. But the word of God Jesus compels us to not stop there, but to go on to orthopraxy. Not just right thinking and believing, orthodoxy, but that that right, but that, um, right thinking and believing leads us and inspires us to right living and behaving. Those are definitely two separate things. Then through right living, orthopraxy, we shall gain a more complete understanding of our orthodoxy. They are linked. They are made together. And to only have one um, invalidates the other, but it's, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Proper orthopraxy leads to better orthodoxy. We understand better. But sadly, throughout our Christian history, our emphasis has been on orthodoxy, supported by Bible knowledge. But orthodoxy is cerebral. It's in the head. This displays frequently what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You know it. You just don't know it. You do the right thing, but you don't, you don't do the right thing right. You're not getting it. The reason that that's a law is so that this is the way you behave, not so that you would obey the law. So we emphasize right belief. And we punished wrong belief. We called it heresy. And we broke relationship for it. And Jesus kept telling us, 
Look at your hearts. Look at the relationships. Look at those with all the people around you. And he was asking repeatedly, here's a way to evaluate the way that you're living. Are you growing into one? Are you being connected on a deeper and deeper level with God and with the people around you? Your right thinking, your orthodoxy must be manifested. It must come to life. It must be lived out well in orthopraxy so that you can touch it, so that you can feel it, so that it will guide you to know what you really believe. It's not just for someone else to understand. It's so that you understand it, so that you embody it, so that you get the sense of this is Christ's life in me. This is what I believe. And understanding comes in that way. The Bible points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament points to Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. We understand the Bible through Jesus because He's the point of the Bible. That's what we're always trying to get back to. This points to Jesus. Prophesy. This is who will come. This is what He will be like. This is what He will do. He arrives. He's just like that. He's the fulfillment of everything that was promised over here. That's who we were trying to get to. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The Old Testament points, the New Testament points to Jesus because Jesus is our focus. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our coming King. Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our Master. Jesus is the king above all kings. And he has called us friends. And he desires growing relationship in orthodoxy and in orthopraxy. He desires that relationship with each one of us. One of the relationship activities, one of the relationship building activities that he asked us to be a part of, we now call the Lord's Supper, or we call it communion, or the Eucharist. And Paul was writing to his friends in the city of Corinth, and he was trying to describe to them what's going on. This passage is very familiar. For I received from the Lord, Jesus, what I also passed on to you. I told you about this. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the good news. You proclaim what the Bible proclaims, Jesus. 
Jesus. That's our focus. We proclaim that until he comes. The symbol that was given to us in communion is an absolutely beautiful manifestation of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We practice this. It's physical. It's tangible. But we only practice it because we have a belief in what it symbolizes. In our tradition, we believe that it is a symbol. But the right thought and the right practice opens up the possibility for a visitation of grace, if you will. There's nothing magic in communion, and yet it opens the doorway to grace. Because as we believe correctly and practice correctly, God visits us in that moment. It's the same thing for us when we practice baptism. That in that symbolic moment, God may choose to arrive and indwell in a way that he hadn't previously. So we're going to take communion today. It's at the back. We have a cracker. They're broken up. You just take your part. What is it that you believe when you do this? If you're not part of our tradition or you're not part of our church regularly, it's okay. You're welcome to participate with us. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior, if you believe that the Father sent him, he came, he lived the perfect life, he died for our sins and rose again, if that's your belief, then you can practice with us. And we'll welcome you to that table. If that's not what you believe, that's okay too. Don't worry about it. We all work in stages. We're welcome. You're welcome to be here with us. We just say, hey, you don't, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to pretend. If it's not your belief, then don't make it your practice. Someday, when it's your belief, then you practice with us. But you're welcome to be our guest either way. For uh, parents that are here with your kids, you, you deal with your kids, right? When, when you are confident that they understand what you are saying, they're welcome to join with us as well. We want to support the family in that and not have a, a system, of a checklist or something. Your kids, you, you take care of them the best way that you should. So we'll go to the back, take a piece, take a cup. You can um, consume them at the back if you would like, or you can come back to your seat. Take a moment and ask that God, by his grace, would show you anything that stands between you and him in right relationship. This is a chance we checkpoint. We stop what we're doing somewhere else, and we do something intentionally today to not just get lost in the flow, the habit, and the routine. We say, God, Remind us. So we choose to remember what God has done in the past. My past and the distant past. We choose to reevaluate where we are right now. Am I living the life that I would like? And does that life align with the life that Christ has called me to? And if there's anything standing in the way, ask him to show you. Not so you can feel guilty, so you can move to freedom. 
When you have a sense that there's something you need to be forgiven for, then repent. Repent means say you're sorry, turn away, turn away from it, and go in the opposite direction. Repentance is not bad. It's blessing. It's opportunity. So take that opportunity. We were led beautifully today by Dan and Kristen and Cuba into a place of peace, into a place of rest. Complete that journey by letting your soul be at peace as well. Clear up the stuff that needs to be cleared up. Remember, reevaluate, refocus before you go so that before you leave today, you're on the track that you believe God is leading you on. You've dealt with everything that he's brought to you. And you may live again in peace and freedom before him. And that empowers you to live well. Belief and practice. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. That's what we're going to do today. Kind Father, thank you again for the gift that you have given to us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you chose... You chose to be part of this plan that would save me, that would save us. No one forced you to do it. You willingly gave of yourself, your life, to save us. Thank you for what you have given. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Bring to our minds those things that we need to take care of. If it's with you, then allow me to ask my forgiveness. If you reveal to me something that is with somebody else, then God give me the courage to deal with that, to bring resolution, to bring about reconciliation, for that's what we are called to be, ministers, bringers, deliverers of reconciliation, not just for others, but for us as well. Speak freely to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, come. Christ in front of you. Christ behind you. Christ above you. Christ below you. Christ to your left. Christ to your right. Christ in your present. And Christ in your future. The Spirit of Christ within you. And finally, brethren, be perfect. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I am convinced the more we connect, the better it gets. As you go today again, I want to remind you that you are being sent. You don't simply disappear. We go and we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered and we are mission-focused. We are on mission, everyone, everywhere, all the time.